couple of things I always tell people is a lot of times when people are searching the book, either in the bookstore or on Amazon, they look at your cover and title and they do it very quickly, right? You have 10 seconds or so of their attention that they're looking at that and that needs to grab their attention enough for them to go to the next step. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. One of the things I most miss about seeing patients on a regular basis is the amazing things they say that both stop me in my tracks and reveals deep resources within that are foundational to how they move through life. I've enjoyed having some time away from the practice. It feels like an uninvited and yet deeply needed sabbatical, and I've been reluctant to go back to work too soon, partly because I don't understand the nature of this virus, and partly because I've enjoyed how my days have taken a more spacious feeling. Moving at a slower pace, it's been restorative. The other day I got a call from a Vietnam vet that I usually see once a month. He wanted to know when I'd be back to work. And without thinking too much, I said, tomorrow, I'm bringing a table over to your place. I surprised myself with this response because... I thought I was going to more thoroughly mull over how I'd be cranking a practice back up again. It's not unusual for me to contradict myself. It's finally warmed up here in the Midwest. The past few weeks have felt more like Seattle than St. Louis, so it was good to sit on his porch, like I remember neighbors did when I was a kid. There's something about sitting in the comfortable shade and enjoying the breeze and freshly mowed lawn scent of late spring. We often talk in our profession about how we get to know the patient and that we treat the person, but it feels vastly different hanging on a creaky porch with the smell of old wood and chattering birds than it does in the professional confines of a treatment room. Vietnam was pivotal in this man's life. He had a destiny all mapped out from when he returned, but a rocket-propelled grenade changed all of that. I think about living through this season of coronavirus and the changes that it's wrought in my life. However, it's nothing compared to the instant when an explosion forever alters your physiology, and along with it, the path that you thought your life would follow. My porchside companion has great esteem for his now-deceased father and older brother, both of whom were policemen. I love hearing stories about these men's lives over the years I've gotten to know and like them and, and learn something from them, even though we'll never meet in person. Some people have a character and a fortitude about them, and just hearing stories of their life will change how you think about things. This guy f planned on following along in the trade, but it wasn't possible with his rearranged body, and so he found a different path. And yesterday I discovered that he felt lucky as hell. He found that path that would not have him living in the shadow of the men he loved and respected, forever wondering if he was measuring up. Instead, he got to follow his own path and prove his own mettle to himself. I hear stories like this all the time. Sometimes people are in touch with how a disaster turned out to be a lucky break. Others are vaguely aware of how the troubles in life have given them potent moments to put their feet on their own unique path. And then there are those who lament what was lost without noticing what they've also gained. It's not uncommon for our difficulties to, in time, become our lucky breaks. And I've noticed that people who are aware of this have a kind of resiliency about them. 
Their chi and their shun have been seasoned in a particular way. They are both more accepting, and at the same time, they don't abide much nonsense. I like this porchside medicine. There's something connective about the pace and the tempo, the sense of lingering, of allowing life to move a little bit slower, so that stories of transformative experience, they have an opportunity to unfold. So often, as a practitioner, I wonder if I have what it takes to help somebody. But then I hear stories like this, and I trust that the person I'm here to help already has some vast reserves and resources. Not only can I trust that they have the internal capability to take the situation and move through it, but they often illuminate something in my own life that is also in the process of seasoning and becoming. You know, the social contract with medicine is that we are here to fix something in our patients. That's the deal that on the surface we all agree to. Somebody wants their knees to hold them up. They want a baby to feel complete in this life or where they want their food to digest in a nourishing way. But tug a bit on the threads of what is connected to a symptom and you might be surprised at what you find. For me, this is one of the beauties of Chinese medicine that we have the possibility of attending to the fabric, literally the jing luo, the warp and woof of our patients, should we be available to seeing it and sensing it. Have you noticed this in your work as well? That sometimes that thing that seems wrong about someone is part of what's actually deeply right about them. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. 
The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. One of the benefits of this season of Corona is that many of us have more time and life has more space for doing things that have been on the to-do list for way, way too long, or maybe to work on a dream or one of those one-of-these-day type projects. If you've considered writing a book, then this conversation can add some fuel to that endeavor. It's never been easier to publish and promote your own work. In this conversation with Oren Kaviti and Sean Sumner, we go through the process of planning, writing, and effectively promoting your work. If you have a book in you, then this COVID-19 situation, it might just be the best thing to come along and help you get your words to the press and into the hands of the people who you want to read what you have to share. All right. Are you ready to write that book that you've been promising yourself that you do one day? This just might be the perfect time for it. Listen in and find out how to get her done. Hey, friends, welcome back to Geological. Today, I've got two guests. I've got Oren Kaviti. Oren was on a previous podcast recently. We were talking about the warm bamboo moxa amazing stuff. If y'all haven't listened to that, go listen to it. Even if you don't do moxa, go listen to it. It's it's amazing stuff. Oren's with me, and I also have Sean Sumner. Oren and Sean have been working together because Oren has a book coming out, and Sean has been helping Oren with his publishing efforts. You know, we live in such a fantastic time because we've got these computers that basically let us be a media company if we want to. And so if you've got a message that you want to get out into the world, it's easier now than it's ever been in the history of human beings to do something like this. So Oren's got a book. It's coming out soon. Sean was helping him with it. We're here today to talk about how to get a book done. 
because you all might have something that you'd like to share with our colleagues. Um, Oren, Shana, I'd like each of you to just take a moment, introduce yourself, and, and then we'll jump into this. Let's start with Oren. Well, hello, everyone. I'm a British acupuncturist. I think you can probably tell from my accent, uh, but I don't live in the UK. I live in Malaysia. For the last 10 years, I've been working on this thing with warm bamboo. It's kind of starting to snowball a little bit, and I wanted to get everything down on paper. So I uh, had published a few things in articles and journals and stuff. One of my friends said, why don't you why don't you write a book? And I started to, but I couldn't get a publisher. I'd had publishing work before. I'd edited a book and I translated a book about acupuncture. But this time I just couldn't seem to get a publisher. No one was interested. And finally, uh, I decided to self-publish on Amazon. But I knew so little about the process and uh, I felt kind of very lost with it. It's like, you know, just going to buy a car without knowing anything about buying cars or knowing anything about cars. And finally, uh, I found an organization called Self-Publishing School. And then they do an online course and they kind of guide you through the process of writing, producing and launching a book. And that's how I met Sean. So Sean is one of the coaches at uh, Self-Publishing School. And yeah, I guess that's my story so far. I'm almost at the point of launching my book. Cool. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Sean, how did you get involved with all this? Well, to be honest, I got involved a lot like Orrin, um, where I started as a uh, medical professional looking to get um, word out about what I'm doing and things I'm helping people. So I'm a physical therapist by trade, and I've been doing that for 15 years. And I felt that I could really help people by getting my message out in a book. And so that's how I started about six years ago, finding about the world of self-publishing. And when I did that, I was able to learn from people. I was actually signed up as a student from self-publishing school, which is what Oren mentioned, and was able to publish two books uh, within that first year. Uh, this was after I had done other medical uh, journals and textbooks and things like that in the past. But this was more of a message to help the average person and help get them going in my area, which is back and neck pain. That's what I specialize in. And so I started that about six years ago. And since then, I've just been immersed in this world of self-publishing. I've come on with self-publishing school as a coach. I'm in a community of self-published authors. There's about 3,000 of us that meet online on, on pretty much a daily basis at this point and talk about the different things that we're doing and helping and sharing each other. And I've gotten to the point now where I've been able to help uh, hundreds of different authors in all kinds of different genres. I could probably say thousands of different authors at this point, including my daughter who's written and published. We've published her book as well. And she's off giving speeches to uh, middle schools and elementary schools and stuff about the self-publishing process. So I started this along that same route, trying to get my message out. And since then have been able to become pretty much in this realm, uh, one of the experts in this area and helping others get their books self-published and really doing it in a way that's professional. So it's, those books sit right there with any traditional published book. They are able to say the quality is just as good as those. And so they're able to get your message out and you, you have more control over it. You could be able to say, this is really my work. And I'm also really able to uh, control what the way the message is brought out. So that's how I've gotten into this. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Your daughter is helping to teach kids in middle school and high school to publish their own books? She is. So middle school and elementary school, actually. We just got done on Monday. She was giving a speech. It's mind-blowing. Sure. How old is she? She's 12 now. So she, she, her book first came out when she was eight. 
So he's comfortable now getting up in a room of uh, 300 kids and keeping their attention for 30 minutes. And a lot of this came about by having the confidence after her book came out. So we went through the process, published this book. She got a lot of great attention, media attention on news stations, TV, newspaper, things like that. And it's developed into this thing where now she has this confidence to speak her message. And I think that's whether you're 12 years old or whether you're 80 years old, you know, you, you have that message and you get it out there and you get that book, it bolsters your confidence. Now you have this authority to say, yes, I am the author of this book on the subject. And if you want to know about the subject, I am the go-to person for this. And it makes a big difference when you're starting to, to bring that message out. Well, I'm just astonished that young people these days, people in, in middle school, have the opportunity to craft a message for themselves, have something to say, and have the ability to put it out. When I think about the way that human beings have communicated over, over the centuries, the way that we are now able to connect with each other is extraordinary. Middle school age kids doing books, that gives me incredible hope for the future. As a proud father, of course, I'm, I'm, you know, shouting to everybody about the accomplishments, but it also goes for a, a really good story and kind of wake up call for those people who think I can't do it. If she can do it at first published at age eight, I mean, obviously we helped her along the path with getting the right editor and getting the right cover designer, but those are things that you can get help with too. No matter where you're at in this process, if you have, if you have that message to get out, uh, you need to start going back and it's not just something that only a select few can do. It's something that any of us can do and be successful at it. Mm -hmm. Sean, what would you say are the major lifts in doing your own self-publishing? You know, I suspect there's different pieces that need to get done. Of course, you need to write a book. Of course, you need to get it edited. Can you give us a rundown on like the major things that you need to be thinking about if you're going to jump in and, and get your book done? Yeah, sure. And and Orn, you can probably speak to some of this too, but you know that one of the biggest things, first of all, is you just got to put your head down and get a rough draft done. Like we, we preach this all the time. Nothing else matters until the first rough draft is done. We're all about making sure that you're not worrying about editing. You're not worrying about any of those things to get your rough draft done. So obviously you have to have some type of message, some type of word and getting that rough draft done. But the other big things especially when you're working and trying to have that high quality book that stands on the bookshelf with any book out there is you really want to make sure that you have a high quality cover design. Uh, and so that's one of the things I've learned as uh, an author is, you know, people absolutely judge a book by its cover. That is just how it is in this world. Uh, and if you have a cover and let's say you've, you've worked three years on putting this message together and building up this information, or maybe you've worked 20 years, and then you go out and put it all together, and then you spend $5 or $50 to put a wrapper or a cover on it that's just subpar, then that message is just diminished. And so we, we talk a lot about finding a good cover designer. Uh, so your manuscript or your rough draft, uh, your cover designer, a good editor is the next part. And so uh, those are the three big things. And then there are some little things like formatting or typesetting that come in later once you're getting things done. But the big three are getting that rough draft done, getting a good solid editor, and then having a great cover designer. I, I just love it. People do judge a book by its cover. It's really true. Oren, what would you say for you the most challenging pieces have been? Funnily enough, for me, writing the book was easy because the song was in my head. I just needed to get it out onto the paper. First, it was 
kind of finding the time to do it. And I realized that the best time to do it would be in the morning before anyone else was awake. And then I could just get on with it and have my quiet time. And then I'd be ready for work after that. So that those became my kind of holy times. It's just really nice to kind of be with myself and working on the book every morning. The book kind of wrote itself very quite fast. It was just all in my head, really, and all my experience. But what has been hard, I think, is the practical business end of launching a book. Because there are a lot of kind of terms and concepts that you have to get used to and figure out, like uh, getting a launch team together, which I hadn't, I had no idea what a launch team was. And I mean, all kinds of practical matters to do with production and to do with uh, launching, which I'm still coming to grips with, you know, like having a launch strategy, you know, working out how I'm going to market the book and how I'm going to push it and promote it and those things. I mean, at self-publishing school, I've heard people say, you know, there are some people who identify very strongly with writing and some people who identify very strongly with marketing and launching. And uh, I certainly fit into the the kind of uh, nerdy writer category. I'm not the kind of um, pushy business uh, social media guru that I, I would like to be. So yeah, I think I think it's the business end of it is hard for me, and that, that that's what's been helpful about the course. Yeah, you know, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. We often have strength in one area, but we're not quite as developed in other areas. It's great hearing you talk about the writing. I know a lot of people, it's like, oh, I don't write or I'm no good at writing or, you know, my English teacher in high school didn't like my writing. But the truth is, if you do have that song in your head, if you do have years of experience and and something that you know and you know it like the back of your hand, writing it is probably not that big of a lift if you can get the editor out of your head. If you can write, like Sean was saying, if you can write your first rough draft and not be editing it as you write it, just write the damn thing, then it is possible to get that material out there. Or how many rewrites would you say you went through to get to your present incarnation with this? It depends what you mean by rewrite. Because once I got to the end, I kind of went back to the beginning again. I mean, one of the things... A lot, a lot of people say, oh, I'm writing this novel. And long ago, I started writing this novel. And then I just got into editing it chapter by chapter. And so I would never get past chapter five because I was always going back to chapter one and editing it again. So one of the things they encourage is just kind of get the thing done and then go back. So once I got the thing done, I think there were various processes. And uh, one of the things I did is I found that there was a very large section of the book which I just took out and I will make into book two because it was just too much information for one book. Uh, That was your advice, actually, Sean. Some of the book came out, part four of the book came out because it's going to be book two, and then lots of other stuff just got chopped and changed. And then one of the things uh, that we get encouraged to do is to, to read the book out loud. Flaubert, a French writer, said this. He said, you have to be able to breathe naturally when you read your writing. If you can't breathe when you're writing, when you're reading out what you've written, it's not a good sentence. So, yeah, when I was reading it, I was going, <gasps> it's like, well, no, that's not a good sentence. And other sentences, they would flow very naturally. So, yeah, I think it was um, reading it out loud really helps. And it really helps you find where you're not making sense or where you are making sense. 
Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. I think that's super good advice. I, I was given the same advice when I translated the book that I worked on some years ago, that to make sure, number one, that you've got all the words in the right place read it out loud. It's just, it's a helpful way to proofread. Cause if you just, if you're reading it in your head, it's easy to skip over things. But I, I love what you say about you can read it and see what's happening with your breath. And that is going to give you information. I, that, that's such spot on advice. You mentioned Oren about having a launch team. It sounds like you're doing a rocket ship. You know, you're working with, uh, Elon Musk or something. What, what is a launch team? What do they, what do they do for this? A launch team is a community of people who agree to help you promote your book. Now, one of the things about Amazon, uh, as far as I understand it, because this is coming from someone who hasn't yet launched a book, is that the algorithms go very much on reviews and readers also go very much on reviews. So if you can encourage people in your tribe to, to download the book from Amazon and then write a review of it, then that's going to be very good for other readers coming across your book. They say, oh, look, he's got eight reviews or 10 reviews or 60 reviews. So th those things are very important. So in exchange, the launch team get benefits. They, For example, they get to read your book for free. So you, you give them a pre-launch copy in PDF form, or you enable them to download the book very cheaply for $1 or $2 or something, $3, I think, in my case, because the file size is quite big. So you enable them to, to get it very cheaply before you let anyone else outside the launch team know that the book is there. So that's my understanding of a launch team. And for acupuncturists, I think this is very important because, you know, our books are never going to be bestsellers in the, you know, in, in the lists. In the mainstream world, probably not. Yeah, I mean, very few people who are not acupuncturists are going to buy my book. Uh, maybe some people who do shiatsu, maybe, who, you know, some people who do body work, people who are familiar with meridians, but no one else is going to. A physiotherapist like Sean is not really going to be interested in the book, uh, or is not going to be able to get his head, head around the concepts in the book. So you're not going to get people from outside the acupuncture community on your launch team. Maybe three or four, like, you know, maybe some friends or family say, I want to be on your launch team and I'll write a review. But it, it's going to have to be acupuncturists who you're networked with already through Facebook or through other kinds of groups, you know, through your colleges. 
and they are the people who will going to read your book and appreciate your book and write an honest review about it. Orrin and I are both, I'm actually working on a book as well. The work we do is, is very focused to a super niche market. And, and, and I can see what Orrin's talking about here with having a launch group is being helpful, creating some buzz, getting some feedback on the book. Oh my gosh, look at all that free copy editing. That's, that's got to be really helpful as well. When it comes to promoting the kind of book that Oren's doing, and he's in a super niche market, are there some different strategies that would be helpful for him or some things to think about versus someone who's doing something more, you know, with broad appeal? So for example, we're just doing acupuncture and acupuncture related things. We're not doing air quotes here, alternative health, which is a much bigger, wider, more diffuse field, so to speak. So are there some different ways that different kinds of authors, depending on their niche, would use this launch team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm going to give an example of one that we just helped launch recently. And this was with a friend that I use, who is it's a book for amputees. And so again, this is a very specific market. And it's something to help people initially right after they have any type of amputation, right? So again, it's not ongoing, it's a very specific market there. And the launch team is one aspect that can really help because it really gets the word out to that very specific market. So in this case, we're looking to prosthetists and we're saying, hey, this book is out. Do you want to be part of our launch team so that we can help spread the word? And they're able to say, yes, I'm going to get behind this. Well, they honestly would have probably never known about that book if we hadn't talked to them to have them join the launch team. If we just said, oh, it's available on Amazon, I'm just going to put it up there and hope that people go see it. The chances of someone in that niche market are even smaller because they're not always out there looking and knowing that book is there. They're not just going out for average reading. They want to get someone from a professional in their field. And if you've gone out and said, hey, I want to tell the, the people in my field about this, and I'd love it if you could tell your network about this. So a launch team specifically is a great way to get into those networks of like-minded people so they are going to even know about the book so they can either recommend it or they can do those things. Secondly, those reviews from those type of people in your target market are so much more helpful than reviews from anybody else because they can speak to how this helped their practice. They can say that this book absolutely applies to my practice, and this is how. Now, if another acupuncturist will go and read that review, and the terms that people are using are the terms that they know, and they understand that, yep, this is someone like me who thought this book was helpful, that is a much more powerful review than anything else that's left. If you have four reviews like that, it's better than having 20 reviews of people saying, I love this book, it was great. But you have people using the terminology that you use, why this helped their practice, those are going to spur along sales of your book a lot more. As you start to get, go further and you have a bank of reviews and you have the people who are now in your niche and network knowing about your book, the last thing you can do is to start to reach outside that network. And there are things that you can do with Amazon and with other places to really get some targeted promotion or advertisements that go to people who have looked at other books like this. You can target your ads now. One of the things that goes along with having this crazy machine that you said that can be our own you know, media presence is we can also go into any of these advertising platforms and say, I only want to advertise to people who have read other books about this subject or people who have gone on and liked this area. And so you don't have to try and spend money advertising to the entire world, hoping that you're reaching 
other professionals like you, you can say, I want to target only other professionals like me. And so there are definitely ways that you can continue to promote as you go forward. And that's one of the things I learned when I first started. I put my first book out and I just uploaded it and said, okay, Amazon's going to bring all the people to me. I'm just going to sit back and this is going to be wonderful. And I would get a sale or two a day. And then when I got in and learned the system, I said, no, you have to you have to line up some promotions in first. And you have to get reviews because nobody's going to buy your book if there's one or two reviews that you need some social proof to it. And oh, by the way, you can do these other things. And so once you learn the system, it becomes a lot easier. But it is kind of an insider game because I had no idea that these things existed. I didn't know the process until someone just said, oh, yeah, there's things that you can do. And all of a sudden, my sales tripled. Um, just within a week by but just applying some of these things. That's super helpful information. You you mentioned that there are different advertising platforms where you can really set some parameters so you can niche it down to who you want to target with your messages. Are you talking about Facebook? Are you talking about Google? What are, what are these advertising platforms that you find to be most helpful? So it's a great question because honestly, when I first learned about advertising, I was assuming people were talking about Facebook ads. And that is actually one of the, in my opinion, one of the least best performing ads that you can use because just the way it's set up. And I'll, I'll talk about it in a sec, but the ones that I prefer are actually ones that are targeted specifically to people who are looking to buy a book at that time. And so in specific, Amazon advertising. So Amazon has their own advertising platform. And so when people are on Amazon and they're looking up one item, you can have a similar item pop up next to it. And it'll say, you know, it usually even says similar items, right? And it'll say, and those are people who have advertised to have their book or their, you know, device, whatever it happens to be, pop up when something similar pops up. When you have these set keywords, so if someone searches acupuncture book, you can have it advertised so that the top couple that are on the list that come back in those searches are people who have paid to be advertised. It's a lot like Google in mm -hmm. that way. Very um, similar. But it's, it, yeah, it's very similar, but it's done on the Amazon platform. And then the way they do it is unlike Facebook ads, which when you get kind of technical, those are cost per impression. If someone looks at it, the ones on Amazon, you only get charged if someone actually clicks on it. Oh, that would get you a lot more advertising for your money, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And so if they if they don't click on it, they're not getting charged. And if they do click on it, it means they have some intent to look at your book for a purchase. And at that point, it just goes on if you have a good cover and design to actually get them to go ahead and, and further and make that purchase. So Amazon advertising is a very powerful platform for authors right now. Uh, and then there's a second one with communities of authors that have signed up to be on lists to learn about books about their subject. And so BookBub is one of them. And they have this huge email list and people sign up and they say, I want to only be notified when there's books about healthcare, or I want to be notified when there's books about this subject. Some it's romance, some it's, you know, Western, whatever it happens to be. And you can advertise to very select groups of people who like certain niche genres. And so they're very targeted ads and it makes it, it very helpful to say, I'm spending money on those specific groups that I want to reach. Wow. So this book, Bob, this is new. I've never heard of this. I'm kind of an old school guy. I used to uh, 
haven't done it so much these days, but, you know, I used to go to like bookstores and just wander around and just like see what caught my attention, like what's new, what's interesting, what's got a nice cover. But it sounds like BookBub is the modern equivalent of wandering around in a bookstore. Yeah, I would say it's it's very similar. It's it's something where each morning or however you want to set it up, people can set it up. I get one a week. I'll get an email and say, here's some books in your genre. And you can browse through and say, oh, I like this one. Let me go ahead and check this out. You know, you just get this updated list of here's some books that you may like. And they try and be very um, user friendly because they, they want people to stay on that list. So they're trying to make sure that people enjoy the books that they're getting. And then as the author, you pay a certain amount to that company for them to you know, spread your book out to these users. And it's just a good way of trying to get some some targeted feedback. Amazon advertising is still the number one, but there's places like BookBub uh, that are number two. And then Facebook can be effective, but usually only if you have something that goes along with your book. Because the cost of a Facebook ad by the time they purchase your book, unless your book is is on the higher end of price. So my book, for example, if I but they bought a print book, it would be $12.99. I would keep around, let's say, $7 of that. It's pretty good. By the way, on traditional published, you wouldn't do that. But self-published, you keep them out. But in order to get enough Facebook ads to get people there, I'm not making much of a profit. But a lot of people will have, once you read the book, now you either get the second book or you're hooked into this series or you're buying their online course. or you know. So the book, a lot of time, is a gateway. And in that case, Facebook ads can be effective. Um, but otherwise, the profit margins are not just, they're just not the best in Facebook ads. You know, this is something I've heard you mention a couple of times in our conversation, that the book is kind of a gateway. That once the book is out, you know, you can do classes, you, you've got other products maybe that you sell. How often do you see this happening with people that are doing self-publishing, that, that the book, the book is not the end, in a sense. The book is the beginning for a bunch of other stuff they're doing. How often do you see this happening? To be honest, at this point, the groups that I work with, this is probably the majority of people. Um, and that's because they are they are learning like that they have a message that they want to get out, and the book is a one avenue to deliver that. But beyond that, they can do a much deeper dive into the subject by getting them with uh, in their course or by connecting with them in an online community or by getting them to go into the next book, the series. So in, in Oren's case, he was talking about he had this wonderful book, but it was a big book. And he was saying there's a subject in there that, that could possibly be a second book. Well, if you can get them where they say, okay, I love this first book. I got the targeted information that I wanted from this. I really want to hear what he's got next. Now he's getting a second book or a third book in this series. And now you're no longer paying for advertising to bring people in. You don't have an advertising spend for that second book because they've, they've gone on to it because of the first book. You've kind of opened up your own sales funnel. Yes, absolutely. Oren, I know you had this song in your heart, which is what the book has become. But even when you've got a song in your heart, sometimes staying motivated can really be a challenge. You know, you're a teacher, you're an acupuncturist, you've got a personal life. How do you stay motivated and, and carve out the time, especially for this stuff that maybe doesn't come naturally to you, right? I mean, writing the book was pretty natural. Now there's all this other stuff that you're learning to do. How do you keep the motivation going? A lot of the time you need to think about what the book's going to do for you. So if Sean's already been explaining, in a way, it's like a, it's a very expensive business card that you give to people. This is my book and, you know, this is who I am. 
Sean used the word authority. When you have a book, you are an authority in your field. Unless your book is terrible and you know and it's really badly done and full of bad design, then then it becomes I'm sure it would become more of a millstone than a than a than a calling card. Because Ontakia has been so important to me over the last 10 years and it's transformed my practice and my patients love it. And then I've been teaching it internationally and it got to be a point of anxiety for me about, well, I really want to kind of put my flag down here rather than one of my students writing a book about it or, you know, that this is my development. It's it's my contribution to the field. So I was very motivated to get the message out there. I really, I, I, I wanted to get it done. So that was one driving factor. I never thought I was going to make lots of money from the book. It's, you know, as, as you've already said, we're a very small niche market. So in terms of book sales, I can't imagine that it's going to be, you know, like a, a James Bond number one seller. It's a small income stream and that's encouraging. And I think a second book will be another income stream. And that's that's also motivating to think that it's going to get me more teaching gigs and people are going to be more interested in my message and when I speak at conferences, I'll, you know, get a conference fee instead of someone saying, can you do it for free? All of those things are things that contribute to our careers. So I, I think those are all motivations and just wanting to get the thing done. I heard someone in the Facebook group for SBS recently saying that he likes to get the cover done right away before he writes a word. So he likes to get the title and the cover and then just have that there on the wall. And then that, I can't remember who that was. It was Sean. I think it was in one of the Facebook coaching sessions. But anyway, I think it's really nice to see that because, you know, that that would motivate me. If If I'd had that cover sitting in front of me for the last year and a half, probably I would have got a lot faster. Success is much sweeter when shared with others. Hi. I'm Sky Chilton. I launched Real Mushrooms five years ago. Much of our success can be attributed to health practitioners who believe in us. Well, we believe in you too. We're here to return the favor with our partner program. If you'd like to prescribe Real Mushrooms to help your patients, we'll fulfill that order, directly ship it to your patient, and share the earnings with you. You can still help your patients without stepping into your practice. Try Real Mushrooms now. Text partner all one word to 55444 to find out more about our partner program. When I think about doing a project like a book, I, I think of the cover as the last thing. I mean, one of, the, one of the takeaways for me from this conversation is cover is super important. And I love this idea of get the cover done even if it's not the cover you're going to use. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe the journey will change as you're doing your work, and then the cover has to change. But to have a cover and go, this is it, to put it on your wall, you can see it. It's like, there it is, something super tangible. That's a fabulous idea. I'm I'm thinking not just for, like, book writing, but, like, any big project I've got, if I could, like, create an icon for it, so to speak create something that represents it, put it right there in my visual field. I bet that would be super helpful. One of the things that uh, we haven't talked about is book titles, because in order to have the book cover, you've got to have the book title and the subtitle. That, for me, has been through more iterations than any single chapter in the book. <laughs> so coming up with the, the, 
the actual name of the book really took a long time. And then the subtitle of the book, which ended up being Rhythmic Moxibustion Methods from Japan for Mind-Body Healing, that caused me more anxiety than anything. I mean, I went through so many iterations for the title and I was posting it in my Facebook group. So what do you think of this title? What do you think getting people to vote and stuff? Um, yeah. Uh, in the end, I just kind of settled with, well, well you, you know the title of the book there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the launch team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sean, have you got some suggestions for folks about how to think about title and subtitle? One of the things that you kind of already mentioned with the cover is to get a working title first and don't stress over it until you've got your rough draft done, right? That's that's probably the number one thing is because people will spend so much time up front worrying about their title uh, that they're not getting the book done. And that's, you know, you got to get the book done. The second thing is as you develop your book, you're going to start to realize that maybe some different word, you know, like it might actually be a slightly different title or subtitle. Uh, so number one thing is, is to get a working title and just say, yeah, I know this is a working title and I'm happy with this. It helps me focus. Uh, just like if you were to get a, a cover done ahead of time. And then once you've gotten into the book and you've got your rough draft done, now it's time to start going back and looking at the actual title. A couple of things I always tell people is a lot of times when people are searching the book, either in the bookstore or on Amazon, they look at your cover and title and they do it very quickly, right? You have 10 seconds or so of their attention that they're looking at that and that needs to grab their attention enough for them to go to the next step. And the next step might be looking at your book description or looking at those things, but it has to capture their attention enough. So it can't be too detailed. Uh, that first title has got to be enough where it's just a quick attention grabber. And then your subtitle, we really like to be very niche specific in our subtitles. Because people want to be able to look at that book and say, yes, this is for me. It's not for everybody. Because there's lots of books that could maybe help lots of different people. So it could maybe, if you're looking at books specifically about one form of acupuncture, then you really want to be specific in that title that this is about this exact form of acupuncture for these type of acupuncturists in this type of setting. Because people, all of a sudden that screams, this is for me and I want to get this book. And so we want to try and be as detailed as we can and specific in the subtitle after people you've initially grabbed their attention. And then the last thing I would say as far as advice is something that Orrin already said is get feedback from your target market. Feedback from your specific target market is invaluable because you're going to see it so many times that it just becomes, you know, something just you don't even realize what, what it is after a while. It's this this title. Uh, and sometimes you're so immersed in the work that you're doing that that title makes good sense to you but that's because you're so you know this work that you're doing and you're, you're sharing someone outside of that may not it may not make that same connection uh, so you go to your target market and put those um, titles out there and get some feedback and have fun with it do uh, things like he's done which is having a group where people vote on it and give him feedback and that that also allows them to be part of your experience in this book and people that help you in your title and that help you decide on a cover are much more likely to feel like I'm part of this book. I want it to be successful too and be on your launch team and help spread the word because they've been, they've been part of this project as it goes forward. Uh, so those are some tips to start getting that title moving forward. Yeah. So basically the title is something broad enough to catch your attention. The subtitle, something niched down. Oh, you got my attention. Is this for me? Yes, no. 
you're actually filtering in two ways. One, just catch the attention. The second one, is this actually for me? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that people tend to do is they tend to keep that subtitle too broad. And although they, they're thinking that they're going to, well, this will help me gather more of a bigger market. They're, you know, this is a bigger pond. I'm going to get more fish. And that's not the case because it's just not attractive. It's not saying, oh, this speaks directly to me. And so you want to make sure that you say, nope, I want to take the time to really be specific enough. We get a lot of t people that will write books on self-help and they'll say things like how to be your best self and achieve all your goals. So something like that, but that's very broad. It's not saying how to, in five minutes each morning, design a plan so that you can be effective each day in achieving goals, right? So it's like, oh, now I know this book is going to help me in a morning routine so that I, you know, it's just making sure that you get specific as you can in that and it helps sell your book more than you think. <laughs> Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. I could not agree more. One of the things that I have found, and this has taken like years of just like living and being in business and, and all that kind of thing, that being broad speaks to nobody. I mean, it really means nothing. If you're for everybody, then you're for nobody. And if you can take your message and ratchet it down to the kind of people like, like for an acupuncturist like myself, the kind of people that I want to see and treat and be of service to, if I can ratchet my message down to them, then I'm going to attract more of the people that I want to work with. And at the same time, I'm going to very conveniently dissuade the people that I'm not interested working with from coming in and, and seeing me. It's super helpful. It's like a filter that works both ways. It brings you what you want. And in the people that aren't such a good fit, they will know to go somewhere else. I think it goes against a lot of people's sensibility that, oh, I'm here for everybody. The truth is, is that we're not. That's a wonderful point. And it definitely goes on the book market, too. And it was something that I had to kind of learn myself as well going through. And, and I think that in your marketing message, you'll do the same. And you talked about kind of dissuading people that aren't right for it. And you actually do want that with your book, too, because if someone reads your book and this is not right for them and they go leave a review that says this book 
was terrible. It didn't help me achieve the things I want. Whereas if the mar- if the title and subtitle were better, they would have realized, oh, this probably isn't for me. That review might really hurt you in the long run. So having a few negative reviews is not bad. We talk about this all the time. If you don't have at least one bad review, then your book probably didn't focus down enough uh, because you do want to have – people need to know that like, oh, yeah, this it hasn't been just all friends and family that have left for you. There have been some appropriate reviews. And so some negative reviews are not that bad. You need to have those, but you also want to limit those. You don't want a ton of that, right? You want the good reviews to outweigh the bad reviews. And if you get the right people reading your message and reading your book, then you're going to get those good reviews organically because they're going to say, this was perfect for me. I wish I found this book two years ago. Yeah, I've seen those reviews. You know, it's so funny how we go on the opinions of strangers, people we've never met and will never meet to make a decision about something we want to buy. It's it's a very funny thing to me about human nature and the way that we are uh, interconnected with the Internet these days. But it's funny. I usually will read three and four star reviews because I want to see something that hopefully has some nuance to it. I mean, of course, it's fun to see five star reviews and, and to see a lot of them. But often you're just going to hear people gushing about something. And and I kind of want to hear both sides if I possibly can. But it's funny reading those one-star reviews because often they'll say something that, that really outs them as, well, they should not have read this in the first place. Or they came to this with the complete wrong set of expectations. And it's helpful because then you can more easily dismiss those, those one-star reviews because clearly the book wasn't for them. Um, but still, for some reason, those one-star reviews – what is it about our human nature? I'm opening this question up to both you guys. What is it about our human nature that we will, as a buyer even, look at that one-star review and go, well, I don't know, even though there's like 10 five-star reviews that say otherwise. Have you guys got any thoughts about that? How many acupuncturists does it take to change a light bulb? (laughs) 20. One to change the light bulb and 19 to say their style could have done it better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, folks, niche down that subtitle of (laughs) voice. Yeah. I mean, within acupuncture, there are always competing styles and competing uh, systems. And some people are not going to like what you do because it's not what they do. That's always been the case. I mean, when I when I was learning acupuncture, there were four colleges in the UK and they were all at loggerheads with each other and said, oh, his college is no good and our college is the best and very much like martial arts. So I think there's always going to be that uh, factor at work. But I think that acupuncturists these days are much more aware there are many different kinds of style now. So it's, it, it is more pluralistic than it used to be. So hopefully you won't get the same kind of competitiveness um, in the acupuncture market. But I mean, I, I still see some reviews of, of very good books in acupuncture, which are actually unfair because people are competing intellectually. Sean, your thoughts about that? Yeah, I would say there's there's two things. One is that I think people are always, if something doesn't match their expectation, that's when they're going to voice something. And so when they get something from and this happens with any product. If you get a product and it was meant to be a great product and you get a great product, you tend not to really say anything because that was your expectation. So a lot of times it's harder to get the good reviews because 
yeah, I was expecting to get a good book. Like, this is wonderful. I was expecting it. And when things don't match their expectations, that's when people tend to voice their opinion. And so if, again, this goes to getting the right fit to your book, and it's because if it doesn't match what they were intending the experience to be, uh, then all of a sudden they want to voice this to others and they want to and say, this did not work for me because. And I, th- I find this in my practice as well. Uh, when people come to see me, I'm very specific on, hey, this is why what I do and this is why I do it. I don't get as near as many good reviews because I'm considered an expert in this area. When people come to me, you know, I'm the spine expert in this, you know, area of California. And so they come knowing like, hey, he's going to be good. Therefore, I'm expecting good. And when things don't match their expectations, that's when they're going to say something. Right. And so that's when you tend to Yelp tends to always be negative reviews or things like that. So matching expectation, I think, is important. And then the second thing is that I was always scared to get my book to other professionals in my area. Mainly because I was thinking something that Orange just said, and this one, first of all, they're going to find out I'm a fraud, and they're going to let everybody else know because they're professionals too. And I had this mindset that that everybody was going to find out that maybe I really didn't know what I was doing. And the second thing I was worried is even if they didn't, they were going to voice that anyway because they were my competitor. And the truth is that the majority, the vast majority of any other professionals I share my book with, they go, "That's wonderful." great for you. This book has great information on his style. And if it's not my style, then they kind of voice that. But I've had overwhelmingly positive support from other practitioners in my field. And it was something I was not expecting and very hesitant to do. And I I would hope that that would be the same in this field is you're going to have some detractors. But I think the majority of people that you reach out to are going to be proud that you did the book. They're going to say, wow, I would like to do this too. And you're really good at your field. And I'm going to let people know that. And if it's not a fit for them, it's not a fit for them. But uh, you're going to probably get more positive support than you think when you start to share these books. This makes me wonder about the launch team. I mean, the launch team sounds like such a valuable resource. You're going to get so much useful feedback on so many different things and different points of view. I'm wondering if it might be helpful on a launch team to bring in some people that might have a diversity of opinion so that you can get like a wider range of feedback. Granted, if someone's got a super different point of view, someone might cross rooms and go, well, you know, I don't know about that, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and maybe if they're like so different, you can go, well, that's fine because our styles are, are so dissimilar. That feedback makes sense. But would this also be a way of bringing in other kinds of opinions that that you wouldn't otherwise see and be able to maybe make some shifts so that you could help set expectations better with your final product. In other words, I guess the question is, what goes into a good launch team? What kind of people are you looking for? I'll start on this just because I've put together multiple launch teams, but I'd love to hear your experience, Aaron, as you're going through this. But really, the launch team is I'm going to recruit those that I can say, hey, are you going to be able to dedicate the time to actually help me with this? And that's one of the big things is because people's lives are busy. And so it's this project is important to me and to, to you as going through the book. It's not as important in their life. So the biggest thing is, do you have time to help dedicate to this? And then I do think it's nice to have people in your target market, whether or not they have the same opinion as you, because one of the best reviews I've ever received on a book was from someone who said, number one, the book has great information, but there are several spelling errors that he could probably work on. And so that one actually is the best review I have because it shows that they were critical, but still love the information. 
And then the second best review I had was for someone who said that these exercises would work for these situations. I'm not so sure they would work for these other situations. And that all of a sudden said, well, if I'm in that first group, I'm absolutely getting this book. So even if some people who have either differing opinions or differing styles can still be very valuable as it goes through the launch process. In my mind, I want to separate the people who help me in the creation of the book and the people who are going to help me launch the book. Because there were certain colleagues who read through the draft, like editorial, you know, and so gave me feedback, said, you know, Oren, you know, you keep going into all this stuff and very specific stuff, but that doesn't really help me with the Ontake side. Why don't you cut that bit out? Or you're going into too much detail here. So basically very close colleagues who read the book and went through it and then gave me their feedback. That was very helpful. And then the book went through various iterations because of that feedback. And, you know, you're not talking about copy editing feedback. They're not saying, oh, you spelt this word wrong. They're saying, you know, this chapter was a bit thin on the ground here. And this chapter just, it just seemed to go on for ages. You know, maybe you should split it into two. So that kind of feedback is really useful. And that's all in the, in the creative process when you're in the creative stage. But when I'm coming to the launch team, I mean, I have a Facebook group, which is called Moxer in Motion Launch Team. I posted the cover that I'd selected up there just kind of to keep people's engagement and interest. And then some people were saying, oh, well, don't you think it would be nice if you put you, you put a green background on there and blah, blah, blah. And kind of at that stage, it was too late for that because I wasn't putting the cover up for comment. I was putting it up because that's the cover. So then you have to handle that kind of, um, you know, you want to say thank you to people who take the time to give you suggestions and say, oh, I'll, let, let me think about that, rather than saying, oh, no, there's no way I'm putting green on there. <laughs> so there's a certain point where you do want people's feedback. You put up three covers and say, guys, which one is the best of these three? And people say, you know what? I think number three is the best one. That's really helpful. And the launch team can help you with that, or your tribes can help you with that. I just want to make that distinction between people who are there giving you creative input and when you're about to launch, you don't want any more of that kind of input. You just want to, you want them out there to launch. I mean, we see this as practitioners at a certain part of the process, there's something that's really appropriate and helpful for somebody, but as they get toward a different part of their healing process, there are other things that are appropriate that would not be appropriate at the very beginning. So it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you take a book through, you know, writing, editing, launching, and, and different things are important at different times, and it's really helpful to know where you are in the process. I would say to your listeners, you know, because there, there will be listeners here who have a book inside them. I think everyone's got a book inside them. And they're thinking, could I do this? Does this all sound too complicated? And so, I mean, my advice is just kind of start writing, but then your colleagues and your friends are your resource. They're the ones who will help you and encourage you and give you feedback. And no one would mind reading a chapter of your book. This is not a single person would say, oh, no, I, you know, I don't want to do that. I mean, so, so they're there. This process has been quite overwhelming, not overwhelming for me, but it's been very complicated to kind of to navigate my way around all these things. And particularly the technical aspects of Amazon and registering as an author and all those kind of things. But so it's really good to have this conversation because you have to start off with a rough draft. That's where you start. You just write your book 
And those other things will come to you step by step. It's really a community effort, isn't it? It is. I mean, they call it self-publishing. And in the end, the buck stops with me with every step. You know, every step, I have to say that's good enough or that's not good enough. Or even that self-publishing, you're within a community of people who help you. I think that that for me is the key. It, it sounds like there's an aspect of crowdsourcing that goes with this. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get to the point where you start to rely on some feedback and keep going through iterations. And so one of the things we talk about in our group a lot is knowing when to say, okay, I'm moving forward. The rough draft is done. And also sometimes relying on feedback from those that you know you're going to get back in a certain time. And so that that's a big thing too, because things can hold you back. And there's there's so many things that can hold you back from getting that first rough draft done. And one of them is relying on crowdsourcing too much. Someone's you get it to them and it takes them two, three weeks to get back to you. You know, it's because their life is busy too. Uh, and so one of the things is trying to find when it's appropriate, uh, but also in certain cases, relying on paid editors because yes, when they say you're getting it back in two weeks, they're getting paid to get it back in two weeks. And we say self-publishing a lot, but a lot of people will say independent publishing or indie publishing because really you're an independent publisher at this point. You are running the editing team. You are running the cover design team. You're running the marketing team. So you're an independent, you know, an indie author at this point. There is definitely an aspect of having others help. And then there's an aspect of being that business person, just like you are in your practice saying, okay, now it's time for business. We need to move forward with things. We need to make some decisions and we need to uh, start the the business side of things as well. Right. And you're not just an author, but you're also the manager of the project. So those are two really different hats in some ways. Yeah. And it can be tough for some people. I know it's tough for me. You know, we talk about being busy, um, definitely have a busy life. And I was finding time to try and manage these different projects. And that's where it does help to have some templates or some things to go through or someone who's done it before. Uh, and that's what I've really relied on. That's what there's author groups out there that you can join. You know, we like to feel that ours is definitely the best out there as far as community and support, but there's lots of them out there. And so if you're along this route, you know, make sure that you're you're talking to other people who have done this before because they can probably save you 10 steps uh, instead of saying, oh, you should have, you're, you're, you're trying to find YouTube videos and figure out and there's, everybody's telling you different. You can find someone that's just done it before and just, hey, this is where I'm in the process. What, what is your advice? And a lot of times that can save you just so much time and just having direction of where you go. And then instead of having to be that project manager and you're, you're so focused on all the different possibilities, you can then go back to being the author more of the time and the project manager less of the time. Mm-hmm. That sounds like great advice. Um, guys, we need to wind this down here in a couple of minutes. I'd like just to hear from each of you uh, one final thing that you'd like to share with our listeners if they're interested in getting involved with uh, being an indie author. For me, uh, writing has been a journey. It's been a journey which has left me feeling much more confident about myself and my work than I did before. I'm thinking about Sean's daughter as well, the same process. So even though my book is not yet published, I feel like an author and I feel like an authority and I feel more confident in what I do in my daily practice. If you've got something to say, then just get it done. It doesn't have to be an 800-page tome on acupuncture. It can be a slim pamphlet about what you do. It can be The message can be short. 
I think maybe my first book was a bit too long and my next book will be quite a lot shorter. And I think the message needs to be simple and the, the, the objective needs to be simple. So just give yourself a manageable project and a manageable outcome and, and, and go do it. Start writing. Yeah, maybe you'll be on this show in a year's time with your book. <laughs> Thanks. Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's just such great advice is just get started. And I think a lot of us uh, feel this is just this overwhelming thing that they can't get done. And it's going to take two years, even if they're really working at it full time. The truth is that a lot of you probably have a message already, whether it's something that you've developed in your practice, or maybe it's even something that you've gone out to a group and taught. Have you given lectures on these things? Have you taught these things to other practitioners? If so, you probably have a lot of that book already ready to go. Prior to this, we were talking about the gatekeeper uh, is not as difficult. We don't have the publisher as the gatekeeper now, but there's still a gatekeeper to this. It's you. And if you make that decision, whether or not you're going to go forward, and now that becomes, that that's the main thing that's holding you back is you being able to make that decision. Yes, I'm going to start on this project. I have this message. I know I can get it out. And then once you do, is just getting that guidance to help you down the right path. Find someone who's done this before. You know, like find the, the way to say, okay, I'm moving forward with things and I have these goals and these deadlines. And, and the last thing I would say is, is make a commitment to yourself. We, in our course, we have people actually print out a contract to themselves and put it on their wall that says, I am going to do this. Uh, and so make a commitment to yourself. And when you're in it, you're in it and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to start moving forward. And there's lots of resources. The self-publishing community is one of those communities where we're not in it against each other. We're in it for each other, right? It's one of those things that we we all are trying to help each other build up and move forward. Uh, and so just know that there's a community of other people out there, whether they're writing the same subject as you or not, that are going through this and that, that you're not alone in this. Even though you're self-published, a lot of times it can feel like you're alone. There's a big community of authors out there who can help you move forward and are absolutely willing to help you on your journey as well. Fantastic. Thanks so much, you guys, and uh, all y'all's listening to this. Uh, there will be some information over on the show notes page. Uh, so if you've got a writing journey that you want to get yourself going on, uh, there'll be some resources on the show notes page. You can head over there and check that out. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everybody. Thank you. One of the things that I love about our modern technology is that it has removed the gatekeepers from so many endeavors. It used to be if you wanted a book published, you'd have to sell yourself to a publishing house. Now, you can be your own publishing house. This does mean that you'll need to do more work in a way. You'll still need an editor, and now you're also the marketing department. But the important thing is that if you have something to say to a particular community, the only thing in the way is you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. <laughs>